The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Welcome, operatives, to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Spoon! Right, and uh, today we're going to be talking about teenagers. And, since we're talking about teenagers, we need an expert in the house, since neither of us have any, and neither of us deal with them very often. So, we've called in the best expert in teenagers we could find, Jack Ward of the Sonic Society. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hi, folks. I am here for the food. At, no, that's that's the rat that says that in the in the Christmas Carol, doesn't he? Uh, and I'm I, here for the food. Rizzo the rat. You remember him from the Muppet Christmas Carol? The Muppet Christmas Carol. Ah. I had a little bit of a geeky reference. Anyway, yeah, no, yeah, thanks yeah. so much for inviting me back. I really appreciate it. If you're gonna make geeky references like that, we're not gonna do it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you won't remember this anyway. Um, so today we're gonna, as I said, we're gonna be talking about teenagers. And um, first, I guess we better go into where teenagers came from, because our listenership may or may not be aware that teenagers are a relatively modern creation. For the most part, teenagers are the result of the post-World War II era. Because before World War II, when you turned 12, it was time to get a job and work until you earned enough money to get married, have kids, start your life, and die by the time you're 40. At least that's how I understand it. Is that correct from your perspective, gentlemen? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's especially <laughs> depressing now that I've just had another birthday that you mentioned dying after 40. <laughs> Thanks so much, Rob. <laughs> you are most welcome. Um, I'm here to help, and if it makes you feel any better, I'm going to be 45 this year, so I know your pain. <laughs> yeah, do, do like I do. I don't think of it as getting older. I think of it as getting closer to death. <laughs> That helps. Oh, it does, yeah. yeah it takes the edge off. Yeah. It definitely does, I would imagine so. All right, so after World War II, some event occurred that created the teenager. So, Don, what event was that? Oh, well, looking at it, now, this is one of them things. Um, you'll notice, like most of our shows, it, it'll jump around a lot with, with what we're getting at and where we're drawing evidence from. But essentially what what seems to have happened was after World War II, North America was pretty much the only country that still had any kind of industrial base. Yep. And because of that, uh, because of people coming back from the war, there was a lot of money going around. Mm -hmm. And people wanted a better life for their kids. That was, that was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So what you had was a lot of uh, the, the, the younger kids, the, the youth, Mm -hmm. You could sort of postpone entering adulthood a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, like we say, you go back to the turn of the last century, you still had a lot of farming communities where it was assumed once the kids hit around 14 or 15, they'd start working. Probably um, earlier than that on the farm. Yeah, a lot of them would, but that would be officially where you started your work. That's true. Um, if you look back, say, like pre-war stuff, 
you see that you're basically a kid and then in your mid to late teens you become an adult you'd uh you'd get a job the, mm-hmm. you look at records people are always freaked out because people would get married earlier there were parts in the states um you go back to the 20s and the 30s that people get married at 14 that was considered normal in quebec you could get married at 12 with parental permission yeah that was because it was this assumption that you were a kid then you were an adult Mm -hmm. Um, unless you went to college and then college was in a lot of ways seen as perpetuating your, your childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, after it's time for me to go back to college. (laughs) Oh, I don't recommend it these days. (laughs) Me neither. No, (laughs) no, I work there. So (laughs) (laughs) that'll learn you. So, Mm -hmm. but, but you, you had that idea. Um, an example of, of that, I was talking about with a with a friend of ours just a couple days ago was if you look at uh, movies or entertainment from before the war, you would see that like at kids parties, mm-hmm. the kids would be like doing the waltz and the bunny hop, like they're actually partaking of what would be considered adult mainstream music. Hmm. That there wasn't a youth culture at the time; kids were just miniature adults. Okay, so you were either a kid or you were an adult, and there wasn't a whole lot of like time in between. No. And then after after the war, what would happen is uh, you didn't need the the labor force of, of the young because women were mobilized and mm-hmm. were, were now holding like regular jobs, which pre-World War II was kind of an oddity. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was buzzing along. So you had people that didn't have to become adults as quickly. Okay, well, hold on a sec here. So you're saying that um, teenagers are at least partly the result of women entering the workforce? Yeah. I I, I don't know, because again, that's a whole other issue. You look after the war, there was a lot of back and forth uh, because women had held particularly manly jobs during the war, like manufacturing and heavy Mm, industry. And... When everybody came back, there was a lot of like counter push to get them out to make room for things being like they were in the old days. Didn't work out so well. Well, no, it didn't because you had uh, you had a lot of like females that were making a decent wage and all of the, the pluses that come of that. And you couldn't make the argument anymore, well, women just can't do that because you just had like six years of them doing it. Exactly. They'd proven themselves at that point. Yeah. And then in the middle, you had the the younger people, a lot of whom would get a part-time job or would get more, we'll call it stipends, from their parents because the times were, were particularly well. Mm-hmm. And they had some loose income, didn't necessarily have anything to do. And it was out of that that you got the creation of what we would consider teenagers. Because you had a lot of marketing groups that were saying you've got this specific group of the populace who has money and time, mm-hmm. and we can sell them shit to fill it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could see that. So it's really just a marketing creation, then, you're saying? I would say that probably 60% marketing, 40% just uh, an ebb and flow of society. Well, obviously, the teenagers needed to have that idle life before you could market to them as teenagers. They needed that extra delayed extended childhood um for it to all work together right okay interesting 
Now, although I just thought of something, when did Archie Comics first premiere? Archie Comics first started in, like, the 30s. And didn't they portray teenagers at that time? They did, and it's interesting if you read the first few issues. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was it was different. The, the, the first part of Archie, again, the pre, like pre-war, was a lot like the, uh, it was a lot like the old, like, Little Rascals mm-hmm. features. Just slightly older Little Rascals? Well, it's hard to tell, because, again, it's that, that art thing. It's difficult to portray different age groups, except in coarsest of terms, when you have to crank out 200 pages of comic a month in order to make enough money to live. There is that. Yeah. But it was stuff like the very first story features like Archie and he's on his bicycle showing off to Betty who like just moved into the neighborhood kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, December twenty know. December twenty second, nineteen forty one, apparently. Is, is the first one? Is the first one. Oh, okay. Oh. First appearance in Pep Comics, actually. Yep, in right. no, number 22, drawn by Montana and written by Vic Bloom. I'd like to say I pulled that right out of my brain, but I pulled it out <laughs> of the internet brain. So there you go. Close that enough. <laughs> but, it, but it was appealing to fans of Andy Hardy movies, which yeah. was before then. So, you know, the Andy Hardy movies were that age, right? You got that kind of teen thing going on. Yeah. It, it kind of makes me wonder, though. I mean, there because i i wonder what was what were youth like back during the time of the flappers because you had teens hanging out with the 20s trying to get drunk doing the flappery thing <laughs> yeah the right 20s. Yeah. so there was that kind of sort of strange kind of youth movement that wasn't really teen stuff going on and then i have another question for you that i think you guys should think about is like how do fads fit into this do fads sort of um try to sort of uh extend youth culture or bring people back to youth culture because they had the whole flagpole sitting going on in the 20s too right which was absolutely their version of the rubik's cube so much (laughs) excitement you know get up on the top of a flagpole and sit there until people go get down from there you idiot and and they still stay up just i don't know why it's interesting so those are the two things that i was coming up with what do you think of that don yeah, the the second one is is kind of important. The idea of fads, but the first one, like the Andy Hardy ones, that are interesting because you're right. Uh, the the early Archie comics that borrowed heavily from it, and to use Archie as an example, you can see as it uh, uh, moved on a few years later. Like once they added Veronica, the tone of the comic kind of changes, hmm. and they're portrayed obstinate as teenagers. I hope I used the right word there. But you've got more of like I think a... you mean ostensibly. Yeah, there it is. Thanks. <laughs> Obstensi- they're portrayed ostensibly as teenagers. Yeah, but you get them kind of crossing over into what would be more of like a college crowd kind of thing. And that goes back to the whole flag sitting thing, just to interrupt yeah. for a sec. I thought that was a college fad. I don't remember that being something that teens did, per se. They probably did. But everything mm-hmm. I've ever heard of that, those kind of fads were involved, quote unquote, college kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying is is fads an attempt before we actually had teen culture to have older people hold on to their youth. I think I think in a way you're right, and I think there's also a reciprocal thing mm-hmm. be, because that was part of why college was seen as an extension of youth because you had this this free time, you weren't like 
tilling the field for a hundred thousand hours a day. You could do goofy stuff like that. Um, but what starts happening, especially after World War II, is you get fads aimed at different groups. And I say after World War II because the biggest fad, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that leads in a lot of ways to the creation of what we know as teenagers is rock and roll. <gasps> dun, <Sorry>. dun. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> you brought that word into this conversation. Dun, dun. <laughs> you know, before you go any further, in a previous episode, you said, "Where? What's the? What's the music that people don't want you to listen to now? What is the mm. thing?" Mm-hmm. And it struck me as I was re-listening to that. It's Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Yeah. That that's become the 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 big the big music that nobody should listen to well, because <laughs> it's social injustice music. That's right. That's right. Right. <laughs> So, or promotes ideas that are socially unjust, shall we say. Which is a complete flip-flop of what rock and roll was meant to do in the first place. Well, well I remember true. one of my friends who's a music historian was telling me that, do you realize that rock and roll back in the day was slang for to have sex? I did remember. <laughs> I don't – I didn't remember that until you told me, but yes, I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it actually meant. It was just slang for having sex, rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's part of it. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned like the, the blurred lines thing mm-hmm. is interesting because it's a specific song. Mm-hmm. Like I say, there's no current like movement in music that yes. that you don't see parent groups. Oh my God, they listen to this steampunk music and it just makes them crazy and then they mine coal and it's ah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you never hear that. <laughs> no, I have never heard that, Tom. I have never I heard so that too. about mining coal. These kids, when it was my day, maybe we West had Virginians? a we had a newspaper yeah. route. You know, <laughs> so, that is crazy. <laughs> oh my god, Don. Well, okay. I mean, I imagine down in Middle America, there must be some music that we're not aware of that are you know that's forbidden for kids to listen to. Not really. Um, one would not. think, but okay, maybe not. Well, well I mean, cons- hey, considering what Michigan just passed, there's a lot of things that are apparently now no longer legal. So, <laughs> which are you referring to, Jack? Oh, you didn't hear. This is this is brand new. Michigan, you know, the place where Flint, you can't drink the water. Right. They mm-hmm. didn't fix that. Instead, they decided it was much more important to outlaw oral and anal sex. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> uh, okay. So the water will fix itself, I guess. Right. <laughs> but apparently... Oh, okay. I had to check my watch, which I don't wear anymore, because it's 2016. <laughs> nobody wears a watch. And nobody thinks what... Yeah. Anyway, I'm still kind of confused about that whole okay. legislation. So, okay. <laughs> well, Bernie Sanders will fix it all. <laughs> you mean President Trump? <laughs> President Trump. That's yeah, that's right. true. President Trump. There we go. <laughs> what was he like as a teenager? That was a real question. I, I suspect bet you, he was a real jerk. I I suspect he had real hair. That true. <laughs> that's true. So you were saying, Don, before I so rudely interrupted you. Yes, we we got derailed during a little bit. Okay, we get to the 1950s, and Mm -hmm. we've got rock and roll coming along, specifically marketed towards the new hip teenage crowd. 
Yep, and that sets the template because what what usually marketing does, especially to to any kind of like youth group, is you take what they're doing, you repackage it a little bit, and then you sell it back to them. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. But that's and that's I'd say rock and roll was the big thing because that became one of the things that finally separated teenagers from every other group as their own thing. Mm-hmm. Like I said, before you were a kid, then you were an adult. Now we have this new thing where you listen to this weird music, Mm -hmm. you drive your car too fast, you have just outrageous haircuts, and it was all the kind of thing that it was picked up and marketed back, not just to the teenagers, but to, like, adults and kids as well. Okay. And also, remember, they had their own channels of communication now, because the radio stations were playing stuff by teens, for teens at this point. And so everything on those stations, like the DJs, are all speaking directly to the teenage audience. So you've got a direct pipeline to your audience at that point. Or they're trying to. Because, again, you still have, like, what is it these kids want by, like, a bunch of, like, middle-aged guys trying to, you know, parse (laughs) together what's currently going on. But that's a fine tradition that, like, continues into this day. I would say so, because I think we're doing it right now. (laughs) (laughs) awkward silence we're all young at heart we're all young exactly we're all still teens at heart but i'm what i'm amazed is that how this has changed now like i mean uh, sure we can say that they marketed rock and roll to teens and stuff like that but i mean uh at 1992, they had uh, a sort of the, the industry, the marketing industry figured about $6 billion towards what they called the youth. By the time it was 2003, it was $15 billion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in a very, very short time, you know, in, in, in less in, – in just about 10 years, we, we ballooned massive marketing appeal. Now – I think part of that is is the nag factor, right? You you go to the young kids in, in sort of a very permissive environment mm-hmm. where kids can sit there and say, "Daddy, mommy, I need this," and the parents give it to them to shut them up, and and that's where they make all their money. But why didn't they do that earlier? Why is this? You know, why is it that they do they take care of teens and then you know you get tweens showing up right mm-hmm. in the two thousands and the late nineties, which is like we got to tap another market. Are they going to start tapping like the neonatal? Like what is what do unboard kids really really need to buy? They already do that. Yeah, they right? do. You're kidding. Yeah, because you can get like a uh, a little machine and. That'll play classical music to, like, your unborn kid because supposedly it makes them smarter and stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. the baby Einstein stuff? Yeah. Well, there's... Yeah, and 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 that's, again, you see more of that because it's the, uh, the divide-and-conquer theory of marketing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the more specific you can break your audience down to, the more directly you can sell crap to them. Yeah, but that's directed to the parents, right? That's not directed to the kids. What's no. amazing about youth marketing and about selling stuff is they weren't selling rock and roll to their parents. Those no. they wanted those kids to make their own money to buy it themselves because yeah. they they're the ones that have the 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 extra cash. They have the disposable income because mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about paying rent and stuff like that. So that's where all the that's where all the green is going to come from, right? Yep. Uh, hold on a sec. I just have to deal with okay. this. Right back. Okay. Hello? Hold that thought. Yes, Dad. What's up? 
Actually, can you... Here, I'll have to do it later. I'm actually in the middle of recording a show right now with a friend. It's okay. Just bad timing. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> that was Hello. perfect timing. Hi. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was well-timed. So, yep. um, actually, Miracle of Miracles, that's actually the very first phone call we've had in all the shows we've been recording. And this is like show number 12 or 13. Yeah, that's mm. true. I've never had a phone call show up during the call. I'm going to snow, gonna have to snowshoe out and buy myself a lottery ticket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or just heard... wait till tomorrow and put on the galoshes. There you go. Yeah, because it'll be raining. Or, and and the raft. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> you were saying there, Don. Oh. oh. <laughs> Sorry. See, you're right. And this is where I think you get the idea of a tween was that teenagers – what came first was the affluence that they knew these were people, part-time jobs or decent allowances. And -hmm. it was a market you could mine. And that was why you would get teen culture portrayed to the teens and the adults as something scary and dangerous. Whereas tween culture, because you're still at an age where you're more likely more dependent on your parents tends to be safer. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you get like uh like the the current trend in tween stories is the attractive plucky young teenagers that band together to fight the oppressive society and tend to do it surprisingly bloodlessly and without all kinds of social complexities and nobody gets laid because these are all things that would be considered too questionable for say like an 11 to 12 year old mm-hmm. but to a 16 year old you'd see more of that because these are people with their their own means by that point. Well, I can actually add something to that. Um, from the perspective of uh, young adult writers, um, mm-hmm. the way they broke it down for um, tween writers for tweens and writers for teens kind of works like this. Teenagers are about tearing down society. They're about tearing down society and building something new, which is why, you know, the post-apocalyptic dystopian stuff goes off like gangbusters with them because it's about them shaping the world in their image, so to speak. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, tweens are actually trying to become part of society. That's the point where they're actually trying to figure out how they fit in. Mm -hmm. And so to them, you market material that's actually about preserving society, about protecting society. Huh. Oddly, That's fascinating. Yeah, oddly enough, superheroes and that are actually more marketed towards tweens. Because if you think about it, they're about being a big, powerful guy or girl who goes out and defeats the evils of society and makes everything safe for everyone. Hmm. I'm thinking of Harriet the Spy, specifically, a really famous sort of kid's book, mm-hmm. where she's literally a tween, I think, in the age there. Right. And um, and she is trying to fit in. That's the whole point, is that she's got all these lovely abilities and stuff like that, but she doesn't fit into anybody around her. So that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's how you differentiate. So if you're writing for a tween market, yeah, you go for preserving society. If you write for a teen market, you're about destroying it. Hmm. Okay. At least that's the wisdom, marketing wisdom, I should say. Of, and, then, um, and then, and then you have a series where you start off as a tween, where you're trying to preserve it, and you end up destroying it in the end. Is that it? That would be Harry Potter. I was <laughs> going to say that Harry yep. Potter, right? Yep. He starts off before, and then he becomes that. In is it the is it the Order of the Phoenix, which is the whiny Harry Potter, where he <laughs> want we want to destroy him? I'm trying to. Think. <laughs> 
I don't recall actually which one. There's played. there's one where he's like really 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 like emo teen, mm-hmm. and I think it's Order of the Phoenix, right? And and he's he's just nobody likes him in this in this particular book. Right. I mean the readers, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And but if we go to the end of Harry Potter, of course, spoilers about the end of Harry Potter. But the whole magic society is basically destroyed. Of course, mm-hmm. technically by the bad guys. And then Harry Potter helps restore everything and starts to build and change and rebuild the magic society, so to speak. Rebuild this well, new magical world. Well, there's this hmm. new CBC uh, sh- episode they had on, on The Current on the podcast like just this last week mm-hmm. about uh, 20-somethings right. who can't let go of Harry Potter. Who are still waiting for their letter to come from Hogwarts, <laughs> and they're in twenties and thirties and stuff like that. And so I'm wondering if now, because there is this sort of, um, I, I'm going to use a word that is not familiar. I mean, not not in, in, uh, used very often, but I, I mean it in the in the nicest ways. Retarded. Um, uh, adolescence, right? Mm-hmm. Where this, this, where people aren't actually not growing beyond what they normally do and would go into adulthood. Right. We're getting like a second kind of teenagehood going on now. Is that is that market forces doing that? Is that society trying to keep people back because oh my goodness, it's scary being an adult? Uh, what is that? You're referring, I suppose, to the like the what's called the new adult period, which is yeah. basically yeah the very late teens, early twenties, early to mid twenties period, and I think that that's largely the result not of market forces. This is where things are a bit different. Don might disagree though. That's mostly the result of at least in our society, most people going to college and figuring themselves out during that time. Like now, especially if you want to be successful in say business or something. A bachelor's degree doesn't cut it. You have to go for at least a master's degree, which is a year or two beyond your bachelor's degree. And in some cases, PhDs in some field just to get a job. Fair like, enough. Did, but they, uh, they are calling youth marketing. The, the youth marketing is 18 um, to 35 right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're 30 in your mid-30s, you're still considered youth marketed to. So – so they've either either they created that or they're reflecting what society is showing. Like you said, going back to school is maybe part of it. But what about the Japanese males that they were saying there's a whole uh, problem of them deciding, yeah, I'm not going to bother having a family. I'm going to enjoy staying in the basement of my parents until you know, and just playing video games. And I'll go to work when I go to work, but I'll just enjoy my life as a single person because it makes no sense for any other. Is that part and parcel of the same kind of malaise of not wanting to become an adult or what my mom would call the Peter Pan syndrome? I think that's some of it. And I'm going to comment that it's not just Japanese males that are doing that. I think a lot of millennials are actually falling into that category. Um, they may not all be the uh, neats, the Japanese call them. Um, not involved in education, employment, or, tra- or training, I think it is, or something like that, N-E-E-T. Um, but I think it's a whole generation that's been raised on um, getting what they want about video games. Um, I really, really don't want to use the word entitlement because that's not quite right. But they've mm-hmm. existed in this blissful adolescence that 
naturally they want to extend as long as possible. I mean, think about that. It's a pretty wonderful time, especially for kids these days. <laughs> Why would you want to give it up? And they don't. Well, no, and yeah, I understand well, that. I'm, and I want Don to say his point, but it just struck me as a very horrible thing to say: is that <laughs> we haven't we haven't had real war in such a long time. Part of part of a society forcing people to become adults is because of either the preparation for or the aftermath of. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, we're living in a leisure society where people don't have to worry about being shipped off to fight somewhere. Uh, and we don't need them. In fact, we have extra people if we need to ship people off to fight somewhere. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that we haven't had a, a real war for a bit. I can think of a lot of people who would argue that point. But I think what you got to look at with this part of the issue, and it, it's a complicated one, is uh, first off, you have to look at how widespread is this? Like, mm-hmm. is the idea of the 30-something with the joint hanging out of his mouth, sitting playing Call of Duty all day in the basement, is that really a, a representative of a generation, or is that the current bit of geezerism and, and scaremongering for oldsters? Hmm. And even to that end, you have to kind of parse things out, because you're getting a lot of people who aren't getting into the typical trappings of what historically was called adulthood, Mm-hmm. And there's different reasons. So they talk nowadays about like um, the millennials don't buy houses. They don't have cars. They have no interest in this. Partly because it's just too much of a pain in the ass anymore. And something like owning a house for a lot of people is getting further and further out of their means. There's that too. Whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, back in the 50s, the idea of an adult was like a Bob Dobbs type in his giant suburban home with his two and a half cars and his like three kids and a dog. But it was because the affluence around that that was that was reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. You had a big, strong, solid middle class and that was a thing. Whereas nowadays, that's not as likely. No, hmm. you're right. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to take back a step back there when you said, you know, uh, you're right in the respect that lots of people have gone to war and, and made the ultimate sacrifice. But those were people who chose. I mean, if oh, you take a States. look. Yeah, the last time there was the draft was December Iraq. 7th, 1972. Yeah, but that was you... the last time there was a draft. But look... So everybody else has been part of the volunteer army since then. And now we're having even less of that with drones. When you don't have people being forced, that's when you saw real people trying to say, oh my God, I just want to live in a commune somewhere. Or I just want to <laughs> go go with my buddies somewhere and, and, and not have to deal with this kind of really heavy stuff. It's the people who come back from that who volunteered who go? Who are you know born on the Fourth of July kind of thing that you see? Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he was conscripted, he, he he couldn't wait to go. Right? You know, Johnny, get your gun and all right. that kind of stuff. But I, I, we have a whole whole series of generation of people, and that's why they've been able to have these sort of brush wars, quote unquote, smaller wars going on because they don't have to conscript. You know, have conscription. Once they start having draft, that's when you get massive turnouts. You think that you know uh, uh, the the turnouts from the tea party or the coffee party, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> uh, are nothing compared to what they had in the '60s and early '70s with people trying to stop uh, the war that was going on in Vietnam. It just millions that yeah. were there, you know. Mm-hmm. But, That's true. But, but what happened, like uh, 
with uh, say Iraq in recent years uh, in the states is you had they were quote unquote voluntary, but you had a lot of people who were signing up because they couldn't find any other job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the poor, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's that's not exactly uh, that's not exactly volunteering and there were a lot of people like the especially for the states like we we here in canada weren't very involved in iraq but we were in afghanistan and it was a little different but Mm -hmm. it it was just a massive mobilization of resources the americans did in iraq and it i i do think that that would would count as along the lines of like korea or nam that it was Mm -hmm. a big societal social thing but it was a little different because, like you say, there was no draft. It was volunteers, and that created this kind of weird, sort of dystopian resolve pertaining to the uh, pertaining to the to the whole thing. Yeah, hmm. you're right. That's true. Yeah. Well, again, it's if it's not your neighbors that are going out and fighting, you don't really care, do you? Yeah, but the thing was this time it was your neighbors, but it wasn't like Nam where they were like dragging you off. It was mm. voluntary, quote unquote, but everybody knew you were doing it because you didn't really have any other choice. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's not necessarily your neighbors. If you live in a you know middle class or affluent neighborhood, no one is going from your neighborhood to fight in the war. It's right. those poor people that are going, and you're happy to be rid of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So, in that sense, you know the draft. They got rid of the draft because the draft was actually sending middle and upper class kids off to war, in theory anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's the real reason why those people protested. Those campus protests, where were those campus protests during the Iraq war? Sure, there were yeah. some, but not in the same scale. Why? Because they weren't the ones being shipped off to be shot at. As- and this is why this is what bothers me about drone warfare, because we're just going to see even less protests because suddenly we don't see anybody from our side going over there yeah. and getting hurt. It's smaller and smaller, but it doesn't mean that there aren't massive body counts on the other side, right? Well, yeah. But it's yeah. people that we don't know, so it doesn't matter. We could have four or five wars going on over there. It's no big deal. Yeah. Right? So scary stuff. Yeah, I yeah. hear you. Yep, exactly. Well- it becomes I mean, that. So go. Oh no! It becomes that old episode of Star Trek. That's exactly what I was about to say. I yeah. was exactly about to say that. What? It, a, it which go- one? A private little war? The one with the disintegration chambers. Yeah. I don't oh, a, the, uh, a taste of Armageddon. That's that a taste it? of Armageddon. Yeah. 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 E- uh, Meteor Seven and Vendicar. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and that you-, you did pull out of your ass, didn't you? I totally did. That was not looked <laughs> up. I'm afraid. I That's, totally believe I, that. I, that was one of the shows that I actually put on a cassette tape and I listened over and over again. I got to, got home to tape it off of CBC Channel 5. And uh, there was about four or five Star Trek episodes that I had on a cassette tape that I listened to over and over again. Mm-hmm. This is what we called old school YouTube. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I did that with shows sometimes too. Yep, I admit it. So, yeah, well, we kind of gone a little darker than I know we wanted to go, but it's, it is all part and parcel about who's selling youth culture to us Mm -hmm. and, and how, and why is it getting extended? Is it getting extended because of market forces? Is it getting extended because there's no need to be pushed because there's no jobs because there's no real effective danger are we become infantilized by the fact that we're becoming a more civilized society 
Hmm, that's an interesting question. It it literally goes back to our last conversation about infantilization of the media. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. um, I, again, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say... It's not exactly infantilized. And I, and I would argue that, again, the premise being that the trappings of of what's considered appropriate entertainment for different age groups changes based on where that group is in the uh in the nostalgia cycle. Mhm. So like I say I don't think just because say superhero movies are popular it shows that people are all juvenile and and kept in a suspended state of adolescence because superhero movies don't necessarily have to be kid stuff. Right. And I would mm-hmm. and I would make the other argument from the other end that typically say dramas are considered adult films, but that doesn't mean they're any more any deeper or more challenging or more engaging for a grown up mature mind than would anything else. It's it's just that those trappings tend to change. Hmm. Actually mm-hmm. sorry to rewind here for a second, something just occurred to me, which is that as we get farther from World War Two, adolescence seems to be extending further and further. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to be, I'm not sure. I I would I don't want to say conspiratorial because this is going to sound conspiratorial, but I'm not sure that that's how this is happening. I think it's more of an accident. But I almost wonder if that serves a certain um, social pacification, social control function. Ah, uh, soma. It kind <laughs> of yeah. Because if you think about it, as we're more and more entering into a period where. Um, less people have jobs, to be blunt. I mean, it's becoming harder and harder to find a good job. We need some way to keep the public pacified. Mm-hmm. And besides the video games and the internet and everything else, although I'd, I'd say that they are tools or perhaps symptoms, they are serving that function. And we seem mm-hmm. to be encouraging that. Again, mostly for business purposes, I do think. But I have to wonder about that. And what will happen as we head towards perhaps maybe something that looks like uh, universal income. Maybe someday people won't have to work unless they really want to or want to do better with their life, at which point we're literally going to be living in a society where everyone could stay home and play video games if they want to for pretty much their entire life. Well, it goes even further than that because we're moving into an automated society where you exactly. don't even have to—you don't have to clean yourself. We're all going to be <laughs> in very large playpens, basically, right? Because everything's going to be taken care of. Your food will be popped out here, and if you want clothes, they'll self-clean, and you'll have your robo thing going around here. It becomes really—you start to wonder. I, there was another interesting thing on CBC. They were talking about geniuses. You know, where do geniuses come from? And one of the things mm-hmm. that creates geniuses are actually you know strangely enough not abundance but a little bit of difficulty a lot of difficulty in fact well you can get patrons Mm -hmm. patrons to be able to help you out um most people who were geniuses like you know uh mozart and hayden and i think it was uh who else was in this there was three of them at the same time in the same place in germany um and 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 they you you see these people crop up at the same time because they're in a city they have nothing else to do they spend all of these all these geniuses by the way are huge walkers including einstein mm-hmm. uh and 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 pacers like samuel clemens um so there's there's they found that it has very little to do with genetics and a lot to do with geographics and where what's going on so if that's what's happening and we're given all of these things 
and 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 we you know we don't need to do things like do creative stuff anymore because we're getting tons of stories shipped to us through 15 different Netflix that we need to catch up on and we've got all the video games that are that are just so well done and that um whatever happened to like are are we going to have that opportunity to really create anything new or have any kind of original thought Hmm. Um, okay, let me go back there for a sec to what you were saying, though. Uh, I don't, it's not exactly pushback, but your thing about geniuses coming from um, the environment. You'll, Schubert. Sh- uh, Schubert. The yeah, there we yeah. go, Schubert. Yeah. One thing to keep in mind is is that, okay, they were all products of an urban environment, which means that they were all products of an environment that was providing a lot more stimulation than people had had access to in the past because people had been mostly rural. And so I would argue that it wasn't so much the result of uh, want or need that was resulting in them, but you say they were walkers. Well, yes, yeah, so they were going around being exposed to all kinds of things in their environment. They were pe- no, they were. Say- they said the walking part was them to think out things. They had to walk on their own. Okay. So they they couldn't be stimulated. So like walking with your headphones now would be a sort of against that kind of grain right and they were saying that really like for example they said a lot of people love the the thought of greece being this fantastic place but it was a real dump Mm -hmm. and it was a terrible place to live and and really loud and people often walked to get away from the noise and think so Mm. there was a lot of lack and need and out of those things come more innovation not out of this great abundance because we Mm. find that like kids who get a lot of stuff. Like, why do you think really, really rich kids don't do as well as their parents before them? Because they don't need. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I see your point. There's no stimulation for them to actually go out and strive because they're not trying to survive. Exactly. They're just existing. Yep. Or as Don puts it, following the path of least existence. That was Tim. That was <laughs> Tim's okay. line. Okay, yeah. it was Tim's line. Sorry, Tim's <laughs> line. But they're following the which is very easy when you have all your needs taken care of, which again is one of the things that does actually worry me a little bit about the whole universal income scheme. We might Mm -hmm. not have much of a choice thanks to automation, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to work out so well. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea of the whole universal income originally, if we look back at Mincom in the seventies in Winnipeg Mm -hmm. was to get single mothers off of Mincom. Right. It was there to help them get through the toughest part of their lives so they could get the better education, to get the jobs so they wouldn't need to do that. Right. And that's not what Mincom's going to be in the future. It's going to be, guess what? This is what you're going to get the rest of your life. Exactly. This is your mm. welfare payment, basically, but it's a welfare payment everyone gets. That's right. And that uh, allows you to survive. I mean, I think it's going to be necessary, as I said, because of automation or something, too. I just have great worries about what effect it's going to have on society. Maybe, as we've said earlier, a permanent adolescence in a way. Well, Mm -hmm. see, I think you guys got some interesting points because I think what's kind of happened, and Mm -hmm. somewhere during like the the late, late 90s, early 2000s, is... The, the the whole idea of like like we started with the idea of marketing to teenagers mm-hmm. that that changed during that time mm-hmm. because typically your teenage years are your most volatile right and that was why everything that the, the the kids were into was horrifying to the adults and that's why it bothers me so much that there's there's nothing like that now there's nothing that the kids are into that's universally panned by 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 
older people because it shows you don't have that edge, you don't have that vitality. And I think that's kind of hitting around what you guys are is that everything kind of placates. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mm-hmm. think that's like a, a social controller by design, but I think it's they've kind of hit that sweet spot where they know to, how to give the majority of the audience just enough stimulation to keep them content, but not enough that they actually jump ship, that they start hmm. looking beyond, that they start innovating. God forbid. Um, yeah, and I think <laughs> part of that might have come about to by uh like in the 60s because again talking about there were a lot of protests you had like the youth of the time mobilized mm-hmm. in essence against society and i think that scared the shit out of everybody mm-hmm. and and that that might be one of the reasons why a movement towards this lack of volatility appealed so much to mm. to to the establishment because society wants drones they want mm-hmm. what you guys are getting at, that you, you go to your thing, you tighten your bolts, you come home, you get drunk and watch TV, you sleep, you wake up, do it all. That's what society wants. They don't want innovation. Mm-hmm. Innovation causes strife. It means things get reconfigured. It means I might no longer be the guy at the top anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ever see the movie Wild in the Streets? No. 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 I, I, just, I just found it on disc. That's why I brought it up. And it came out in the 60s, and it's another one of these brilliant pieces of market to the youth while still scaremongering to the adults, because the whole premise is that the voting age gets dropped. Mm -hmm. And this rock star gets elected president, and he gears all of society towards teen culture. Mm -hmm. Mm. And and it's it's brilliant, because it kind of highlights... I think that's what a lot of people by this point were getting scared of, that they were afraid that the youth, quote unquote, was just going to roll right over them. Hmm. Well, because there were so many. Sorry. Mm. No, it's okay. I was interesting. I I remember some years ago they were talking about how in Argentina that the youth were really politically motivated to make changes and the whole bit – and um and and they that's that was the that was the youth culture was to talk politics to talk about changes to go and do all that stuff mm-hmm. and then they discovered um that if they could sell them rock and roll and blue <laughs> jeans uh-huh. and that and then suddenly within 5 years they were all about celebrity culture yeah there's 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 this video out. I don't know if you might have seen it on my Facebook page, and it's depressing <laughs> because it's this woman who's going around at these at, in down and south and saying, "So, who won the Civil War?" And they're like, "There was a Civil War." <laughs> and they don't even know, and they're like, "Okay, America, right? No, no, not America. Okay, who's the vice pre- current vice president?" And he's like, "Oh, I know this. I know this. Right? It's um, I have no idea." And they don't know who their own vice president is. One person got it. And then, of course, the then once they go through all of those questions with everybody, they flip the whole script and say, okay, so who is Brad Pitt married to? Angelina Jolie, Angelina Jolie, Angelina Jolie. And who was he married to before? Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Aniston. And they mm-hmm. just, a celebrity culture, everybody knew the answer at the top of their, at the tip of their tongue. And that can't be just by accident, right? Well, it's what they want, right? That's what the general people want. It goes back to Don's thesis about the audience getting the entertainment they deserve. Mm. And society, yeah, but, too. But, but who told them they want that, right? Because that's not something that they automatically... Are you saying that that's biologically 
um, I- impressed upon us it, that we want to know that Angelina Jolie is married to Brad Pitt? It actually is. They did research where they discovered that um, celebrities and celebrity news, your brain is kind of wired to respond to them as if they're friends. So that's that's well, what... this yeah. Hmm? This is going back to that documentary that I think I mentioned beforehand, um, where they say, uh, and it, and I, I understand that the 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 theory behind it, it makes perfect sense. With it, our bio our biology and our physiology has been has been uh, hardwired so that if we look over and we see Dawn the caveman with this great spear, and it attracts all the hot females. Because oh, Dawn is going to spread his seed and have so many kids. Mm-hmm. We want to be just like Dawn. So we want to dress like Dawn. We want to use the spear like Dawn. We want to because that's that's success. That's mm-hmm. success in life and the whole bit. Well, then we have this massive screen called cinema and all the Dawns we can see. And we must – that's how we have to be. We have to do what they're doing to get that kind of level of success. And so that's where you get – celebrity culture is born from this really sort of very very primitive part of the brain i guess and it becomes an mm. echo chamber and they've they've shown again too that um like when a celebrity couple breaks up your brain will respond to that the same way it would as if people you actually knew split up hmm. right because the sad thing is your brain can't tell the difference between like say fact and fiction like on a sure. very lizard brain level. And that's how you get into that. And then the problem you run into is, like I say, it becomes that echo chamber because they're perfectly willing to sell you celebrity culture and you're perfectly willing to consume. And then you kind of lose track of stuff that might actually be important because that requires going a little bit abroad or or thinking a little bit more about stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same mm. thing again, like we said with the invention of the teenager in the 50s, that you had um, car culture took off because there were all these new models cars. Uh, the old people were buying the newest cars. You had all these old ones sitting around. That's why you had like uh, the souped up jalopies were always like Model Ts and stuff mm-hmm. because there was just tons of them lying around. They were cheap. The younger people got into them. That became a thing. Well, then car culture gets picked up by by the marketing departments and get sold back to you. So it becomes, it becomes reinforcement for what you're already doing. And then it becomes the cycle and then you get stuck in it and it's hard to see anything outside of that. Well, then maybe, maybe we've been, we've been looking at these people who complain about celebrities being involved in politics and charity are looking at it the exact wrong way. We need them to be. Because if they're going to lead all of these young people into, uh, you know, better lives, then we need more Angelina Jolie's going out and talking about the poverty in Africa, mm-hmm. and we and we need more people jumping into the political spectrum and saying, yeah, I I enjoy politics. That's what what I do when I'm not acting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the only way to get people to steer back the sh- to be able to steer their own ship again. It it kind of is. First off, that's basically the plot of uh, Wild in the Streets, and <laughs> and we've we we've seen that because you get people like say Rick Mercer or John Stewart that mm-hmm. they're they're part of of that. They're entertainers, but they're also part of like the bigger political scene. the the mm-hmm. pro- The problem you run into with say like uh, like Angelina Jolie talking about some kind of atrocity happening somewhere is that you're usually getting a really stripped down version because she's not a sociologist. Mm. 
You know, she's not an mm-hmm. expert. Right. And I think some ways to uh, a, a creation we have nowadays that helps mitigate the problem is we get slack division now. Hmm. Yeah. So now that's that's slack division that was created by Dan Carlin, wasn't it? Didn't he come up with the slack the slacktivist? He might term? have actually. He, he's, say I it. think he's the guy who created the slacktivist term mm-hmm. originally. Yeah. But that's a way to, for for people to mitigate. Like, oh my god, that's terrible. I feel horrible. How do I resolve this? Well, I liked it on Facebook. I've done my part. Time to yep. get on with life. Let someone else actually do the real action, the hard work, uh, but I liked it, so I've encouraged them. Yeah. Hmm. So the end result being nothing changes. Yeah, and you've mitigated that that feeling. You've mitigated the bad about knowing what's going on, but you haven't actually done anything productive. And then you'll get, like, social media, that that the actual purveyors of it, the creators of the algorithms and websites and that, who will play up stuff like that because now they can sell you back your own bad feelings. Oh God! I feel like we're on our Roscos and we're just we're we're all in Wally. We're all in the movie Wally, <laughs> right? And and we're just looking at whether or not we have to turn our tunics red to blue or something because that's the latest thing. That's yeah, about right. Uh, oh, it's thanks. Thanks for the upper. Yeah, this show is turning into like the greatest screen. upper show ever. I think <laughs> I thought our cyberpunk show was going to be the most depressing one ever, and I think we managed to top it with this one. I got to be. We're number one. <laughs> number one. Yeah, this kind of kind of depressed me a little more than I thought it was going to at the beginning of the day. But <laughs> yeah, uh huh. Okay. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to make sure release to release this show on like Valentine's Day or something. Trigger yeah, warnings. Because it's not depressing enough for single people. <laughs> this is. This is your attempt to try this. Instead of sending people off to war, you're just going to give them this on Valentine's Day and, and thin the herd. Exactly. Is that what the plan is? Well, it's going to thin our listenership, I imagine. Well, <laughs> exactly. Look at it this way. By not reproducing, you can take solstice and the idea that you're not adding to the problem. There you go. Um, yeah, exactly. Jack has three kids done. Oh, my God. Well, maybe not you, but... <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, okay. I mean, we're not guaranteed to be locked into any of this. I mean, this is all theoretical, of course, and we're talking about human nature and such. But you know, there are always flies in the ointment, and there are always things that could happen that could change things in one way or another, quite radically, actually. The M drive. The M drive is our <laughs> is our is our savior. The M drive. Well, okay. There's yeah. That. If if. If we have the M drive and we're all separate from it by billions and billions of 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 miles and and we are all living on different planets in different places, then we won't have time for for celebrity culture. We won't have time anymore for kid culture. We'll all just be working until we drop. It'll be a miserable existence, <laughs> but we won't have to think about this. Well, that's true, actually. <laughs> I mean, if we could send colonists out to all the different like planets in the universe i imagine that's right we would manage to delay it happening but eventually they'd work out a galactic civilization and there'd be galactic celebrities and the Mm -hmm. whole cycle would just start all over again yeah i mean (laughs) you know it's one of those things right i mean it's i think we're uh, 
maybe we're going through a dark age right now and who knows what's going to come out on the other side. Um, hopefully yeah. something positive and uh, worthwhile. Maybe better people will come out on the other side, hopefully. Or worse. I doubt it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just finished watching Rome and I'm thinking that, oh my God, that we are so much like Roman citizens like 2,000 years ago. We pretty much right? are. Right? Yep. We have all of the. They have all the, you know this massive wealth. They have, they have slaves to do everything. Like literally every part of your 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 waking moment mm-hmm. can be taken care of by a slave because they were just so cheap. Right. And then and then they just had so much boredom and and depression from what was going on from that kind of stuff. Looking for the most strange, weird uh, things to do to try to, you know, uh, alleviate that, that, that ennui that was unsetting mm. them. <laughs> right. Um, and it, and it destroyed them, you know, they had the whole clay pots with the, and, uh, the lead in them. Yep. And, uh, I think the, the lead had a lot the, to do with that actually. The, yeah. And the barbarians coming up at the gate that just, that were wanting something. It always seems to be mm-hmm. a barbaric tribe that's ready to take out the civilization and just sort of delay everything all over well, again. Well, it goes back to the idea that civilization makes people weak. Hmm. Yeah. Um, which may or may not be correct, but, um, I'd like to think that at some point maybe, um, Gene Rodbury was right, and we will actually overcome some of this, and we'll actually develop into better people or a better society in some way. Mm. That may or may not be correct. More likely, we will all end up becoming uh, citizens in some giant virtual reality world slash game. Our physical bodies will basically decay. We won't end up reproducing many children, and eventually, the human race will slowly wither and die. But you know, whatever. So, if if human civilization makes you weak, does youths uh, civilization make you the weakest of all? Hmm. You mean yeah. are teenagers the harbingers of the end? <laughs> are they, are they just the natural extension of the weakening of society by creating something that's even more, that's even less productive, that has even less, because we're trying to perpetuate this, this stay within this sort of youth, this teen culture kind of thing. It never has its end. Mm-hmm. Right, it just keeps going and becomes more cushy and more comfortable and less productive. And well, in that case, hmm. see, I would I would argue for for that that historically, up until mm-hmm. relatively recently, from the inception, no, the teen culture was they were the barbarians. They were the thing that challenged society, and that mm-hmm. society would yep. have to mobilize with and eventually absorb, and then that would change society. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's since, yeah, like the late 90s, early 2000s, that they've somehow managed to tamp that down so you don't get mm-hmm. anything that challenges society. Oh, I don't know. I no. think we referenced earlier uh, social injustice music. I think there's a fair number of young people <laughs> that are challenging society right now, just in slightly different ways. Yeah, but the thing is, a lot of them aren't young. It's, it's mishmashes of young and old. That's and true. It's not that they're really presenting a challenge. They're just being dicks. Mm. Well, some of them are. I mean, I would like to think that many of them are honestly trying to make you know positive social change as they see it. I mean, they're trying to become actively involved in society, just the same as young people always have. Well, is it, though? Is it because young people, I think Don's on to something, because... We've we've often said that maybe, you know, this generation is so used to having things their own way. When they see injustice, they don't see it as a larger scale thing. They see it as, I'm not getting any. Mm. 
So it, it's it's masked under the under the idea that let's change the world for a better place, but it really comes down to the fact that I, I'd be happy if it was just me. Hmm. Kind, well, kind Maybe. of, but yeah, but it's it's the idea because I was just reading uh, about like that whole idea we've talked about before of a safe space. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a challenge to society. That's kind of no, no, no. You you go away. Me. This is all just me here. It it's not like um back in the day if you felt that like society was oppressing whichever you know group I, I always use the Swiss like if you were Swiss mm-hmm. and you felt society was oppressing the Swiss you would get out there and you'd advocate for the Swiss and you look at like mm-hmm. the seventies you'd march for the Swiss and you'd see your congressman and and lobby in favor of the Swiss to your congressman and you'd point out all these atrocities against the Swiss nowadays all you'll do is you'll just say if you say anything bad about the Swiss we're all just gonna like lean on you. You're not actually treating a problem. You're not you're not you're mm-hmm. you're you're isolating yourself rather than mobilizing within society. Well, it's funny because I just finished watching that video with uh John Cleese and he's angry as are many comedians about political correctness mm-hmm. right now. Many of them are up on arms up in arms. And he points out that Robin Skinner, the uh the claimed psychologist who worked with him on a number of books, had a really interesting saying where he said, those who can't control their own feelings try to control other people from having theirs. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the the basic idea of political correctness in the whole safe space is, this makes me feel uncomfortable, so you're not allowed to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, and, and of course, that is exactly opposite of what teen culture is supposed to do. Yeah. They're supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. They're not supposed to make you feel safe. They're not supposed to keep you in this warm thing. They're supposed to say the things that make everybody else feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. They're supposed to be challenging and questioning society. That's kind of their purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To use an example... Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll use the, the movie Footloose, like the original Kevin Bacon one, and it's sad that I have to say the original. Ugh, yeah. But but that's a movie that, since the 50s, got remade over and over and over with different titles. And mm-hmm. the premise was that you had Kevin Bacon, who just wanted to dance. He wanted to express himself, but the nasty bad town frowned on dancing and music and that. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise of the movie is that, eventually, he stands up to the people who are, are are inflicting this, who don't want dancing and don't believe in, like, that rock and roll music. Including his dad. Yeah, he stands up to them, there's a confrontation, then there's a synthesis, and mm-hmm. at the end they're allowed to dance because it's, it's pointed out that, well, no, Dad, this isn't that different, and the only reason you're doing this is because of, like, one bad incident and you're blowing it out of proportion. Right. And in, yeah. a mic- in a microcosm, that's kind of what, what the whole point of 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 like teen culture became it was that challenge to society where society in general would have to deal with it rethink it and then you get a synthesis right mm-hmm. now here's a thought um you will note that teen culture was awesome when the baby boomers were teens mm-hmm. but as the as the baby boomers themselves have gotten older that suddenly teen culture wasn't so awesome anymore because they weren't the teens. Yeah. Um, the teens, again, are a minority, and the baby boomer culture is the oldsters who, for the most part, would be very happy if the teens would just be quiet. 
So I have to wonder to myself, is this, again, all a coincidence? I'm sounding like a conspiracy theory guy here tonight, but but it's just, again, the baby boomers are the majority still in society. Yeah, but I think what you're getting at is it's all a conflagration because you're saying the baby boomers are, like, just wishing the teens would shut Well, the teens the baby boomers want to shut up are us. That 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 was us. The this is where I say the current crop isn't doing anything that really pisses us off, and that's where I say I think that cycle was broken. That's why we haven't had the next big thing, and everything seems kind of stagnant because it is. The they they have already shut them up though, Rob. It's called smartphones. <laughs> that's true. Because a baby boomer, a will they they have their friends to talk to. That's true, and they can just walk by millennials who never even know that they're there, they're, because they're 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 busy texting and and on on their smartphones. I mean, the most complaints you get from baby boomers is their grandchildren never talk to them because they're on their smartphones. But for the most part, they don't. They're this is this is a blissful time for them. This has been perfectly etched out in this way. They have they have most of the money. They have houses to live in still. Right. They had they have all those things. Um, they Winston, still have the political quiet. power that's in place, and quiet. and they don't have to worry about a uh, a teen culture to rebel against. Because as Don points out, they don't rebel against really anything. Like I was just thinking here, even the latest gains in in. LGBT uh, awareness and stuff like that, those came from our generation. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, teens teens agree with it. They grew up with it, so they go, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But you, don't, you didn't see a, like a million teens going out on the White House lawn saying we have to have gay marriage. Mm-hmm. It was basically our generation that said, yeah, we're not going to be quiet. I'm talking about gay, you know, LGBT people anymore. It's like, we're making our we're living as adults and we're we deserve to get married so this is how it's going to be right it's people my age that broke that barrier here in canada and my age who broke that who walked into the white house or walked into the mayor's office with their with their uh marriage licenses to get married Hmm. it's not teens that changed that right okay i could see that hmm well um That's an interesting question. Are millennials then actually changing anything, or are they just happily, you know, texting away and just going with the flow? See, that's it's it's a difficult call again because you have to sort of parse out reality from the image. Well, hold on a sec, Don. Oh, we have an actual expert in the house, so we should probably be asking him since Jack deals with millennials every day. I mean, mm-hmm. I do too at the college level, but let's mm-hmm. let's hear from Jack on the subject. Sorry to interrupt you, but oh, um, but um, so Jack, what do you think? I mean, is there a spark in millennials? Do you see this in your students? <sighs> <laughs> that that doesn't bode well. <laughs> no, I wish I wish I could say differently. I wish I could say differently. Um, I mean, you've got we've got always their stars, right? There's always yeah. great mm-hmm. kids, but they also tend to be from parents who do things like limit their technology connection and stuff like that, who have limitations totally. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the kids who have parents who put limits on those kids. Those kids will do well. At least they will until they're out of their parents' grip. Who knows what will happen after that, right? right. Because there's so many temptations, far more than even when we were kids, right? right. Uh, so many temptations to never even walk outside. There's a reason why we have more introverts now 
in the first time in modern history than we have extroverts. Right. It's bec- it's because people are losing the ability to to speak socially and have those kind of understandings. Like you you see it even everywhere on the internet. The idea of having a debate is is people yelling and then swearing at each other and then uh, defriending them. You know, that's <laughs> after calling that's them Nazis. Down to. Yes. Yeah. That's right. There, I love this. There was like really great. Uh, I think it might have been a Tommy and Dickie Smothers thing, right? And they were saying it was this joke, and he said, "You know, oh, where are you from?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm Baptist." Oh, East Baptist, Baptist? No, it was it was Emo Emo Phillips, East Baptist or West Baptist, East Baptist. You know, new new doctrine or old doctrine? Well, new doctrine. He's like, "Oh, good." And are you from the South Side or the West Side? West Side. Die heretic. You know, like <laughs> that's what it comes down to is that people people now have the ability to have you know Backstreet Boys early years uh, chat room forum because they wouldn't dare be found with the Backstreet Boys later years. You know, it's, it, they've gotten so specific that they don't have to grow in any way, shape, or form. They can always just just, just narrow them, their friends off to even, even less so that they only have a certain amount of people that agree with everything they have to say. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, that was a happy and uplifting moment. Um, <laughs> thanks, Jack. <laughs> Mixed with a whole bunch of happy and uplifting. Well, let me give you some of the some of the benefits because, you know, I am seeing students who are asking questions. We do have, despite all the other things, this is a generation of kids that are, I really care. Like they, they are, in some ways, they can be extremely empathetic. Mm-hmm. And it could be because, you know, they could see the stuff happening to them. But they're, they're as, as, it's funny, like when you and I were young, somebody would say, that's wrong. And you would say, oh, okay. And they would show you the, how it was right. As long as they weren't cruel or mean in the way that they did it, you didn't feel badly about yourself. Mm-hmm. You're in a situation now that if you say that's wrong to a student, they're going to look at you like, why do you hate me so much? Yeah, like, you've just crushed like, their dreams. You've broken yeah, their soul. Yeah, like you, you've broken my soul. You, you know the the, the type. Oh, you've I've taught, taught them as too. well. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so I I mean on one level they're desperate for your approval or else it wouldn't matter to them, right? right? So there is that aspect, but it, we just have to get them to build up this sort of outer outer ska, uh, skin, hmm. this Iron Man costume of some sort, so that they can realize that their actions are not necessarily reflective of who they are inside. Yep, that's true. Um, I have to give a lecture <laughs> at the beginning of my semesters, usually, that amounts to, your grades are not you. Yes. Yeah, well, because some of them will... I give the same Yeah, one. they will take... The grades as themselves is like, oh my god, I gotta see. I'm I'm a loser. I'm doomed for life. You are not your yeah. fucking khakis. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> you are not your grades, and uh, I don't remember how the rest of that goes, so I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, but um, add it to the blog as a PowerPoint. Yeah, there we go. For the rest of the world. <laughs> well, yeah. There's another thing: the PowerPointization of everything. But that's all, another whole other show. Um, but yes actually the um you know the students today that i work with talk about the college level yeah there's some amazing passionate as you say caring students there some of whom are far more aware than i was at their age like i will say Mm -hmm. this that's one of the things that the internet has actually done is it's made them more aware of the world than we were at their age like they have Mm -hmm. a much bigger perspective in some ways 
but it gets kind of wonky though because they well they have a bigger perspective in some ways their perspective is also very limited they have a big perspective about certain things and then other areas where they're completely clueless like they're not well-rounded in their perspective they're they're knowledgeable in their specific areas mm-hmm yeah yeah it's sort of like it's sort of like twitter history right yeah right? Anything that's been written, you know, online in, you know, 244 characters or less, they've got it down pat. Right. But <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, exactly. You have to have a uh, too long didn't read thing at the end of everything <laughs> now. Just just because they don't have time or the interest in actually reading the whole thing. That's true. Um, unless that's it stars true. Harry Potter, apparently. <laughs> that it doesn't matter how long it is, they will read it, and they will keep reading it until they can no longer read it, and then they'll read it again. That's what happens in in that interview. There's guys sitting there saying, "Yeah, I have never not been reading Harry Potter, and I can't imagine never not reading it again." But I'm like, you know, there's like a ton of other fantasy and science <laughs> fiction out there, buddy. Yes, and, and, and some I dare say is better than Harry Potter. It may be. Man, <laughs> that that will get us a lot of hate, yeah, man. probably. <laughs> um, wow. But you're no, you're not wrong. I can, yeah. I can see that. I mean, but on the other hand, I mean, that level of fanaticism, our generation felt it for Star Wars. Like, I would say even before that for Star Trek. Yeah, yeah possibly. I mean, uh, Star Trek's a wonky one though, because remember, Star Trek didn't actually was created by reruns in a way. When it aired, people liked it, but not that much. Yep. And then reruns, everyone went nuts for it because it was everywhere. Well, yeah, University students went nuts yeah. for it in reruns. Yeah. And remember, Star Trek created the whole fan convention in the first place. There was no fan conventions before Star That's Trek. not true. Star Trek created the modern fan convention. Mm-hmm. I have in my library yeah. somewhere an actual collection of um, – they're kind of almost like diary entries. But they're basically people talking about – going to a science fiction convention back in, I believe it's the 1940s. It's either the 30s or the 40s. They were older. They had them in the 20s too. Yeah. But it was so, a little different than what we did now. And it, But it was more yeah. like, uh, kind of like giant meet the author thing where you know, yeah. all the local authors would come together, science fiction authors would come together, maybe a few from out of town, and there wasn't really a dealer's room. they just kind of all hang out and talk about stuff. Yeah, yeah, this wasn't the celebrity thing that we see. Like, I mean, cosplay began with Star Trek. No, I mean, it did. all that kind no, of... No, it didn't. That goes back to the... Look up uh, Mr. Skygak. It goes back to the 20s. Skygak? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Skygak. Yeah, I know what Don's talking about. Yeah. You're right. No, cosplay is way older. It It is. Okay, so, so uh, once again, I was wrong twice, but let me clarify so that I'm right. <laughs> Nobody knows what Skygak is, but everybody <laughs> knew what Star Trek was. Right. So while you may have these smaller pieces of stuff, like you say, get-togethers, I'm sure there was, you know... There was library conventions and Shriner conventions and all those kinds of smaller things. You don't get that wide appeal that has created that kind of modern day convention where everybody has to go because you got to go there and see a William Shatner of some sort until you get to Star Trek. You just don't, right? Uh, yeah, I think Star Trek did create the modern convention. I'll agree with that. Like the modern version is an evolution of the Star Trek thing. Because remember also the Star Trek convention is where you got, to be blunt, the dealer's room. 
yeah. like the whole memorabilia trading and buying and selling thing, I'd say is very much the result of the Star Trek type convention. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We may be wrong about this, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that's probably the case. And so, you know, Fan Expo and uh, Anime North and uh, whatever else, the giant San Diego Comic Con, they're all ultimately the result of the Star Trek convention. Skygak from Mars? Yeah. Is that one you're talking about? Yeah. I have never heard of that. I had Nobody either has. before he pointed yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> so so this was this was a really, really famous convention of, of well, uh, it was of of sorry, of, of cosplay that nobody has heard of. Okay, that's fair. Well they did. Everybody <laughs> heard of it back in the twenties. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, but it's Wow. It's interesting, too, when you guys mention, like, the Star Trek thing, because I think you're kind of hitting on where things can fall off the rails, because the idea of having somebody who's a very specific, dedicated fan to a very specific thing, even back in our day, mm-hmm. those people were called weirdos. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were a Trekkie who dedicated your life to, like, Trek, that was weird. If you were a sci-fi fan, that was a little odd, but... Whereas nowadays, mm-hmm. everybody seems to break into very, very specific, like, fan groups and such. Hmm, that's true. And... You know what, you know what, looking at this picture of Skygak <laughs> is worrying me? It kind of looks a bit like genitalia. Am I wrong or what? It doesn't what? look a bit like genitalia. It looks a lot like genitalia. Okay, okay, well, I, I was trying to be polite. <laughs> to, to put um, it in MS. I'm sorry to throw that in. I thought we needed a laugh. Yeah, that's... Yeah, um, yep, okay. But, actually, I think that the whole, like, fan culture thing is probably best saved for another show. I think we're actually wandering into okay. territory that uh, would be best served by another show, preferably a slightly more uplifting one. Um, for those... Well, did fan did fan culture lead uh, youth culture astray? That's a whole other show, Jack. There you go. Well, there, there's the connector. Yeah, effect. definitely. Well, we'll come back in sometime in the future to discuss that. But I think for tonight, we're going to have to bring the show to a close. Of course, when he mentions the uh, sky cat, it looks like genitalia, to put that in mystery science theater terms, give Uncle Scrotor a hug! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, that helped. <laughs> yes, yeah, there we go. We're going to end on a positive, happy, laughing note. Oh, exactly. My um, okay, anyway, on that note, Jack, thank you very much for coming. I know this wasn't the most happy and uplifting episode, but um, at least um, I think we actually tossed around some really interesting ideas tonight. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, both you and Don. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure, Jack. Well, we'll it definitely is. have you on again sometime in the future. Yep. <laughs> if you're willing to come back, that is... <laughs> Always. And come see me in the Sonic Society, anyone who's listening, sonicsociety.org. Exactly. Everyone should be listening to the Sonic Society. Trust me, it's much more uplifting than this show is. (laughs) It is the world's best audio drama being given to you every week, 100% for free, by Jack J. Ward. And you should all be listening (laughs) to it. Thanks again. Talk to you later, guys. Bye. Bye now. And remember, Uncle Skrotor loves you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. 
García. Don, you're looking a little uh, ominous today. If I'm looking at your picture here, oh, you got the uh, the bat monkey, <laughs> the bat monkey. <laughs> yeah, he actually always is, has is that, that a, is that a is that a is that a '50s uh, bat bat character, bat family character, the bat monkey? <laughs> I don't know, but he should be, and they should yep. get Val Kilmer to play him. <laughs> right along there with uh, was it Jake the bat dog? Was it Jake? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought no, was it wasn't it, Jake, was it? It was, was something like that. Not Rex. Um, no. was it Rex? No, Rex was the uh, a whole other character. Rex the yeah. Wonder Dog. Rex the Wonder Dog. But there's Crypto, and then there was a Bat Dog. Though. Don't forget the Bat yeah. Ace. It, wasn't it Ace? Ace. Ace. Yeah, 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 it was Ace. Yeah, that's it. There's and then Streaky the Super Cat, you know, yep. which was yeah. Supergirl. the Super Cat. Yep. Because if Supergirl has an animal, it has to be a cat, and then you know, because Superboy has a dog right so. yeah exactly <laughs> well she has two because there's also comet the wonder horse yeah yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. She, she i didn't know pony. i didn't know she it was her horse i just knew it was there i love how they all wear capes no matter what right <laughs> that's how you know they're superheroes <laughs> the exactly. fact that they're flying animals doesn't give it away they're they have to wear capes except well except for ace ace didn't have a cape he just had a mask because That's true. he totally could have been, he could have been, you know, uh, seen, and somebody would have recognized. It was like, oh my god, that looks like <laughs> Bruce Wayne's dog. Had <laughs> to protect his entire. <laughs> exactly. There goes the secret identity. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Well, Alfred, oh. Alfred had a mask too. Remember, he had one of like little face masks that he wore too. It was like, who is that vaguely English person with the bowler cap? <laughs> But he's got a mask, and it's totally stymieing my entire... Right. <laughs> this, uh, by the way, goes after the credits of your show. And it's 